very pleasant good morning to each one of you. I hope that you have assembled together with the people of God this morning to offer to God the fruit of our lips as we have sung together to Him this morning, as we have gathered around His throne this morning in prayer, as we have remembered the matchless eternal love that God has shown to each one of us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and as we now have an opportunity to open God's Word together. It's good for uh, me and my family to be back with you Uh, this morning. I had the opportunity while we were gone to uh, Florida last Sunday to uh, watch, I think, at least Brent's uh, 9 o'clock lesson last Sunday. And I know that he was not feeling the best when he uh, presented that lesson to you and was coughing a lot, but I'm uh, glad that he was able to do that. And I told him that he did just a, a really good job in presenting that lesson. This morning, I'm not probably feeling nearly as bad as Brent is, but my voice doesn't sound that well. And so you have to bear with me in that. Hopefully we can get through our study of God's Word together. I don't uh, have not seen so far in the building uh, at the water fountain stations that there are any cups. I haven't seen any water bottles that are around anywhere. And so uh, if my voice goes out, we may just have to end the sermon early. I'm sure nobody will complain about that. Uh, we did have uh, little bottles of water in the, behind the, under the podium uh, where I preached in Kentucky. Uh, and if those ran out, we had cups at the uh, water fountain. And there were a couple of times when uh, one of our deacons would get up and uh, give me one of those. But if they didn't like what I was saying, nobody would move. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how this goes this morning. We all know that we live in a world of suffering. And one of the worst types of suffering I believe that we experience is suffering for sin. Especially is that so when we know that we have sinned, but we in some way try to dismiss that sin or we try to downplay that sin that we know we have experienced. That's just no big deal. Or even worse, when we know that we have sinned, we perhaps try to hide that from ourselves. We try to hide that sin from other people. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it is our children. Maybe it is our parents. Maybe it's our brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's the person that we are working with. We try to hide that sin from others. Or even worse than that, we try to hide that sin from God. In Psalm 32, in the passage that our brother Kerry read for us this morning as we began our assembly and our worship to God, David, King David, describes a time in his life when he not only suffered as a result of sin, but as a result of trying to cover up that sin. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at that particular psalm. Thank you, Brent. I'm telling him thank you again. I don't know if you all will say thank you. But we're going to look at Psalm 32 as we read and reflect upon that psalm this morning. We will not only see how intense suffering for sin can be, but we will also see how forgiveness of sin turns suffering into blessing. And that's really the thought that I want us to have this morning as we go through this study together. That thought of from suffering to blessing. First of all, as David begins this psalm in verses 1 and 2, I believe he describes his blessed state. Psalm 31, again, let's read verses 1 and 2. David says to us there, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David obviously was writing this psalm after he had suffered for sin, but he was also writing Psalm 32 after he had been forgiven of sin. I don't know exactly what sin this was in David's life that he is discussing here. Uh, Many people, and I'm kind of of the mindset to agree with uh, some other scholars and commentators that Probably as David was writing Psalm 32, he was thinking about back to the time when he committed that sin with Bathsheba that we're all familiar with back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But not only committing adultery with Bathsheba, but also committing murder and murdering her husband Uriah and all the deceit and all the cover-up and everything that was involved in that whole situation in that time in David's life. But David says when he admitted his sin... Uh, to God, as we'll read about a little bit later on in this psalm, that God acted. And God did three things as we read them here at verses 1 and 2. He says to us, first of all, that God forgave. Secondly, that God covered. And thirdly, that God did not impute. And those are words maybe that at least a couple of those words we may not uh, think about in our everyday conversation or thoughts. We were all familiar, I think, with the word forgave. That is all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But the idea of God forgiving David's sin, whether it's his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah or some other sin at another point in his life, that that is telling us, David is telling us that God lifted that sin, that God carried that sin away, that God took away that sin. We might think about the words of Uh, John the Baptist, the baptizer, as he was trying to point people to Jesus there in the gospel of John in chapter one at verse 29. And then a few verses later, he said the same thing to a couple of his disciples. Behold, the lamb of God, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the lamb of God who forgives the sin of the world. Here is the lamb of God who is carrying away our sin. And David says, as he looks back on this time in his life, that he knew that God forgave, God took away his sin. Secondly, God covered his sin. And I'm taking just a few uh, uh, definitions from Brown Driver Briggs this morning about these words. And that particular dictionary says the word covered here means to put out of sight. And we can even think about that in our, in our minds. You know, when you cover something, maybe you put a cloth over something, you put a sheet over something, you put a... a, a just a covering over that, and it's kind of out of your sight. And so God, in dealing with David's sin, was covering David's sin. But the third word here that David says to us about God and his sin was that God did not impute his sin or his iniquity to David when David admitted his sin to God. And that word impute, again, is not, not a word that we use very often in our everyday speech, but it has the idea of counting against, that God did not count this sin any longer against David. He did not charge David with this sin when David confessed this sin to God. When we sin, we we must come to God as we think about again what David says here, especially at the end of verse 2. He says, How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit... There is no deceit. When we sin, when we realize that we have sinned against God or someone else, 
We must come to God with this spirit that David speaks of here in the last part of verse 2. We must come with this spirit, this attitude about us in which there is no deceit. If we are coming to God, expecting God, looking for God, anticipating that God is going to forgive us. When we come with that honest, that humble, that contrite heart, though, we can know for certain that we will receive what we are looking for, that we will receive the forgiveness of God, that God will cover our sins in His Son, Jesus Christ, that God will not impute that sin to us any longer, and we will be blessed, blessed people. So how blessed we truly are when God forgives our sins. As we move on to the next couple of verses here in Psalm 32, David began this psalm by thinking on a great level, by looking at the positive side of this situation in his life and thinking about when it was and how it was that he was able to be blessed. Now he talks to us in the next couple of verses about the negative side, about his suffering state. Verse 3, David goes on to say, When I was silent or kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. For some time, David says to us here that he kept silent about his sin. If this is in fact David thinking about the sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, I want us to just turn back to those couple of chapters back in the book of 2 Samuel. So if you have your uh, Bible with you in print or digital form this morning, just turn back and notice a couple of verses there. 2 Samuel chapter 11 at verse 27, the very last verse of this chapter, the writer tells us there that when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her, Bathsheba, to his house. And she became his wife, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, after Nathan has been talking to David, and Nathan has been sent by God to help David realize what he has done. That he has not only sinned against Bathsheba, he has not only sinned against Uriah, but most importantly, he has sinned against Jehovah God. And in verse 14, as Nathan is giving some of the consequences of David's sin, <coughs> notice he says, however, by this deed, and after David admitted his sin back in the previous verse, and the Lord said he had taken away his sin, verse 14, however, by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child who is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. And then you read about his son being sick and, and David donning sackcloth and ashes and not wanting to eat while his son is still sick. I bring all that up to say this, again, relating it back to Psalm 32, that for some time, we may not know exactly how long of a time, but for some time David kept silent about his sin. If the events that are recorded in these two passages in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Samuel are written in chronological order, by the time Nathan confronts David, the child has been born. And if that's the case, there's been at least nine months that has passed since David has committed the sin that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
And throughout this whole time, whatever time period it was, as David writes here back in Psalm 32, God's hand, David could just feel God's heavy hand bearing down upon him. (coughs) We think about David, and rightfully so, as the Bible describes for us, that he is a man after God's own heart. But to think about a man who is after God's own heart, that he could carry this sin, try to hide the sin, keep silent about his sin for some time, for months perhaps. And yet that's exactly what he did. During this time, not only did David's spirit suffer the guilt and the shame of his sin that he had committed against God, but he, as he mentions to us there at verses 3 and 4, his body also suffered as well. His body or his bones, he said, became very weak and he began to waste away physically. He continually moaned and groaned as a result of his sin. He was a man who just had no strength or energy or vitality to him. As he says, on a hot summer day, this may not be the best time of year to preach this sermon or to think about on a hot summer day because we're all kind of freezing this time of year. But it won't be very long. I know I grew up in Mississippi. It's just like Arkansas. I mean, the summers can be brutal. I remember as a kid going out and playing, you know, in the yard, climbing trees, riding bikes, uh, jumping on trampolines when it was 100 degrees in the summer. Didn't think anything about it. Now as an adult, like I don't don't even want to walk outside, you know, if if there is a nine in front of the the temperature. (laughs) But it can be very brutal. And David is saying to us, he's trying to put a picture in our minds here, that just like we may in a few months, in four or five months, we may be out mowing our grass. We may be out working in our garden. If you have a garden, we may be out uh, pulling the weeds from our flower beds. We may be out running. We may be doing a number of things outside. And we just reach a point because it is so hot and humid that day that we just literally can't put one foot in front of the other. We have no strength to us. We are totally drained, we might say. And that is where David found himself at this point in his life because of his sin. It affected his spirit, his soul, but more than that, it affected his body. Sin, and especially sin that we try to hide, that we refuse to confess to God, it always affects us spiritually. It it damages our relationship with God. It separates us from God. It puts up a barrier between us and God. It weighs us down, oftentimes with guilt and shame. It oftentimes puts up a barrier in our relationships with one another. But sometimes, David is pointing out to us here in Psalm 32, sometimes sin also affects us physically including mentally and emotionally. And sometimes it affects us physically to the point that we can just barely function in the simplest activities of daily life. And I believe David is saying to us in this picture here at these two verses, that's exactly where David was. I don't know about you in the sense that you have committed if you're old enough to choose between good and evil, I don't know if you have ever felt this before or not in your life. I don't know if you can say that you can relate to what David is speaking to us about here, that you have been in David's shoes or not. But I can tell you for myself, I certainly have been. And it not just only affected sin, whatever sin it was that I committed, and I knew that, and even sometimes in my life when I've tried to hide that 
or make it seem like it's not as big a deal as it really is, that it has affected me physically. And so as we contemplate David's words in this part of Psalm 32, one thing certainly is for certain, and that is this, that being silent about our sin brings tremendous suffering to our lives. There is nothing ever good that comes out of trying to act like we haven't sinned. To try to sweep that under the rug and say, it's no big deal. I don't need to deal with it. I don't need to bring it out into the open. And that is a great lesson, one that often many times we uh, learn the hard way as we go on into maturity in Jesus Christ. But being silent about our sin always brings suffering in our life. And then as we move on to the next verse here in Psalm 32 at verse 5, then David talks to us about confessing his sin to the Lord and the results of that. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Listen, when David had experienced enough suffering for trying to conceal his sin from God, he finally confessed that. What we just looked at back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the previous verse in verse 13, we alluded to it a moment ago. Here when Nathan confronts him and gives him this story and David becomes angry about this man, that rich man that had taken this little ewe lamb from a poor man to give to uh, the, the uh, guests that were coming to his house to eat. And David was enraged about that. He was furious about that. And then Nathan said to David, of course, that very famous line, you are the man, you're the one I'm talking about. And he gives him the consequences of his sins. David, because he is a man after God's own heart, I believe, he said to God, I have sinned against you. Here was a man in David who openly and honestly took responsibility for his sin. He forthrightly said to the Lord, I have sinned against you. Just as we read about David's words in Psalm 51, David wasn't saying his first concern was not I've sinned against Bathsheba, although he had. His first concern was not that he has sinned against Uriah, although he had. But his first and foremost, his primary concern was that he had sinned against his God. And when David uttered those words from his lips that I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied that the Lord also has taken away your sin. David was not trying to blame God, uh, blame God for his sin. David was not trying to blame Bathsheba and saying, well, you know, she shouldn't have been bathing there when I was on the roof of my palace. It's all of her fault. David didn't try to blame anyone else. No, he confessed his sin openly and honestly to God. He took responsibility for his sin and he honestly said, I have sinned against you. Uh, a preacher friend of mine, Gary Fisher, preaches in Indiana uh, wrote, just made a comment about this in a short essay he wrote a number of years ago on Psalm 32. He said this, when David quit covering up his sin, God graciously covered it for him. And I believe that's exactly right. As we spoke of just a few moments ago from the early part of this Psalm, how blessed is the man whose transgression or sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When David decided, this, I've had enough of this. This is foolishness. I'm not, not going to keep silent about my sin any longer. I'm not going to try to cover it up and act like I'm not guilty of that sin. It was at that particular moment when David acknowledged his sin to God that God graciously forgave him. 
Listen, when we sin, we can do nothing in and of ourselves to take away our sin. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to put that sin out of our sight, but God can. There is the good news of scripture. There is the the reason why the gospel of Christ is good news. And therefore, I would submit to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that the only solution for unconfessed, quote, hidden sin is to just acknowledge that. To get that out in the open with God. Because guess what? God already knows, doesn't he? And God already has seen our sin. And so why would we not confess that to him? We would be so foolish to not do that. And when we do admit our sin to God, because God is who he is, we receive his forgiveness, we experience relief from the burden and the guilt of sin, the kind of burden that David was experiencing as we just spoke of in the last two verses. Just a couple of passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New for us to consider along these lines very quickly. The Proverbs writer, the wise man there, Proverbs 28 and verse 13, says that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That is a promise of God. That that is something that we can count on, that we can be assured of, that we can take to the bank, that every time we confess our sin to God with a humble, contrite heart, God will show his mercy to us. God will show his grace to us. God will forgive us. God will take away our sin. We don't have to wonder or guess about that. And then I think about the words of the apostle John in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9 John says to us there, talking to those of us who are Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Was God forgiving David because David was such a likable guy? Was God forgiving David even because David was a man after God's own heart? No, God was forgiving David because of who he is first and foremost because he is the great I am, because of his covenant love, as we'll speak of here in just a moment in Psalm 32, because of his steadfast covenant love for David and for all of his children, the Israelites then, for those of us who are followers of Christ today, because God is faithful to his promise and because we are in a covenant relationship with him. When we confess our sin to God, there is not, we don't have to wonder or guess we can be confident that God will forgive and he will give us relief from the burden and guilt of sin. And so now at this point, if you turn back to Psalm 32, David, I I see here, stops talking about himself so much and maybe he makes a transition and there's an exhortation for us today. Verse six, David goes on to say, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. When we sin, David is exhorting us to do what he did, to turn to God while the door is still open for him to hear us. He says we need to turn to him when he may be found. It's not the the idea that God ever moves or that God changes or that God hides himself. But it's our actions because we have decided to sin against God. Again, we have put up that barrier. We have put up that barrier between us and God. I think the words of David here in these two verses really speak to the urgency of us confessing our sin to God now, today, 
rather than saying, well, I know I've sinned, but I'll get around to talking to God about that at some point in time, at some later date. David, can you sense the urgency here? We need to pray to God in a time when he may be found. Also, I believe in these two verses, David is urging us to make God our hiding place in time of trouble, including the times when we do sin against him or we do sin against others, rather than trying to hide our sin from him. God needs to be our hiding place. It is God, not self, not Satan, not more sin. God must be our one and only hiding place. When we sin against God, when we know that maybe at least in our estimation, in our own eyes, we have just committed a terrible sin. You know, it's one of those that's like murder, fornication, adultery, theft, whatever it is in your mind maybe that you have on that list, that we've just committed a horrible sin against God. And the first thing that we want to do is we want to try to hide that sin and act like we're not really guilty of that. We didn't really do that. And Satan wants us to think exactly that way. He wants us to be like Adam and Eve, as we're going to reference here in just a moment, and try to hide ourselves from God when we know that we have sinned. But God wants us to make Him our one and only hiding place. When we know that we have sinned, again, Satan tries to convince us to hide from God, as we read that Adam tried to do in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. But here's the beauty of that. As as David is speaking to us here in Psalm 32, God wants the exact opposite for us. When we have sinned against Him, God is, as it were, is bidding us to come to Him and to hide in Him because of who He is. He is a forgiving Father. He is like the Father that Jesus spoke about in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, that He is out there every day looking for us down that long, lonely road to His house He is wanting us desperately to come to Him and to admit our sin to Him. Not to just say, well, I've sinned against God and there's nothing I can do to take away that sin. And so I guess I'll just sow my wild oats and I'll do more sin. Which leads to more sin and more sin and we move further and further and further away from God. No, David, because he knew who God is, knew that God and God alone is his hiding place. When we make God our refuge, he saves us from sin. He surrounds us with the songs of deliverance. That is, he gives us the strength, the encouragement, the motivation to walk uprightly from now on. He gives us the strength and the encouragement, the motivation to resist sin. I heard some excellent lessons last week in Florida, some of those at the lectures at FCE, but some at a couple of congregations that we Uh, worshiped with on Sunday and and Wednesday. And that was kind of the point that some of those men were making is that we can resist sin. (laughs) We, We do have the power. God has given us the power through His Son, Jesus Christ, to stand up and say no to the devil. And we need to remember that. And we need to turn to God to find relief from our sin. There are some lessons learned from suffering for sin as we look then at verses 8 through 10. David goes on to write here, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. It seems now to me that perhaps in this part of the psalm, in these three verses, now it's no longer David who is speaking, but God is speaking to David. And God is speaking to us. And if that is in fact the case, God or David, whichever one, is really giving us some lessons that he wants us to learn as a result of suffering for sin. Just notice these very quickly in verse 8. I believe he is telling us here we need to be teachable. We need to be people who learn to listen to God. We need to be people who are humble enough that we are willing to allow God to instruct us in his way. We need to appreciate God's watchful care over us. Again, at verse 9, 8, if this is God speaking to David, he says, I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you in the way that you should go. Even though David was a man after God's own heart, there were times in David's life, just like in all of our lives, we don't know the way to go. If we take God out of the picture, God is going to counsel him. He's going to counsel us with his eye upon us, not that he's looking down upon us, waiting for us to mess up again so that he can strike us dead right there and say, that's it. But he is our counselor. He is the one who is guiding us and helping us in the future to have his wisdom. And so we need to be very teachable people, even after we have sinned and turned away from that sin. Secondly, in verse 9, we need to determine to be done with stubbornness. We need to be people who are learning how to cooperate with God, not working against God. We need to be people who are submitting to God's will and drawing near to Him. What does James say in James chapter 4? That if we will draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Our natural reaction may be when we have sinned, when we have really messed up in God's sight, that we want to just run away, get as far away from God as we can. But the Bible tells us the wisdom of God is we need, it's especially at that point in time when we need to draw near to Him. And then thirdly, in this section, verse 10, we need to develop a deeper trust in God. When we have sinned against God, there, there's something wrong in our trust of God. We need to just admit that. It's not that we have forsaken God altogether, that we have just abandoned our faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, but our trust in God and His Son has not been as deep and as strong as it should have been. Otherwise, we would not have sinned. And so from that point on, we need to develop a deeper trust in God, especially a trust in God's willingness and faithfulness to forgive us when we sin and a trust in God's willingness and faithfulness to take us back when we confess and repent of that sin. And I believe when we learn these lessons that David is giving to us here in Psalm 32, that suffering for sin will not be something that we will see as a negative in our life. It will be something, as we're trying to think of this morning, that will become a blessing for us. Finally, at verse 11, then David gives what our response to all of this should be. He says in verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. When we admit our sin to God, when we get that out into the open and we receive God's forgiveness, God desires not that we just go around with sad faces from that point on. God doesn't desire that we are in sackcloth and ashes, as it were. But no, He desires that we rejoice. That once we were in that state of suffering because of our sin, 
But now, I think the, the psalm here, Psalm 32, has come full circle again. It began with this statement of blessing, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom he does not impute his iniquity. And it ends with blessing. That when we admit our sin to God and we receive God's forgiveness for that sin, then God desires that we rejoice now once again in our blessed state. And we are happy in Him. You know, Satan can work on us that way too. We, we can realize that we have sinned against God and we can admit that sin to God and we can feel confident because of who God is and what God has promised to us that God has taken that sin away from us. This is, this is no longer with us. We don't have to deal with that anymore. But Satan can continue to work on us and he can bring up that sin over and over and over and over again in our lives. And we just walk around as depressed people who are in despair. David says we shouldn't be that way. We don't have to be that way. We need to be people at that point who are glad in the Lord, who are rejoicing, who are shouting for joy. Because now, once again, we are right with God. We have learned from that sin, hopefully. And we're trying to be people who are upright in heart. Listen, if we have confessed our sin, if we have made a sincere effort to turn away from our sin and to turn ourselves fully and completely to our great God, then I believe we have confidence that God has forgiven us and we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to press on in our walk with Him. Do not let one sin define you. And I know that's very easy to say, but very hard to do. But do not let sin that you have turned away from in your life define who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who I am. We are redeemed sons of God who have been reconciled to Him through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's live like that when we have come back to God. From suffering to blessing... David writes of it here in Psalm 32 because he had experienced it in his life. What about you this morning? Have you experienced the blessing that can come even from suffering for sin? Have you said, if you're not a child of God this morning, I've had enough of that kind of life. I'm sick of that kind of life. It has affected me inwardly and outwardly. It has made a mess of all my relationships, of every good and perfect blessing and gift that God intends for me to enjoy here upon this earth. And I'm tired of that. If you're to that point this morning, we hope that you will not just be of that mindset, but we will hope that you will see the blessing, the beauty, the forgiveness that is made available in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And you will come this morning before this audience confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins. You'll be ready to be buried with Christ and have all those sins washed away, taken away. You don't have to deal with them any longer. It may be that you are a child of God and you know that you have sinned against God. Whether that is you have sinned against your wife or your husband, your children, your parents, your brother or sister in Christ, someone that is out there in the world or not, you realize that first and foremost, like David did, that you have sinned against your Creator. 
And you need to admit that sin to God. Maybe you need to admit that to someone else, but first and foremost, you need to take care of that between you and God. And if that is the case, we would urge you to do that very thing this morning. It may be that you have sinned in some way that the brethren here know about that sin, and you need to admit that to everyone here. Or you just may need the prayers of your brethren here for strength and encouragement to go on and to rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) Whatever your condition might be this morning, if in any way you find yourself in Psalm 32 in need of God's forgiveness, we would encourage you to respond to the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.